0: Hello, Bat fans! Welcome to episode sixty-four of I Am the Night, the weekly show where Adam and I—hello, Adam! Hello. Look back at episodes of Batman the Animated Series, and this week it's House and Garden—a fairly innocuous title—and episode five of season two of the show, written by Paul Dini and directed by Boyd Kirkland. And this one is um. Different. Yeah. <laughs> very um, different,
1: very different. I would say this one's actually just. I'm just reminiscing back to the episode we just did with uh Razor Ogul and the uh the immortal mummies and stuff. There's lots of melting and yeah, like, body horror starting to crop up in these episodes. I feel like they're starting to be really confident in their viewers and put in some fairly weird and heavy themes because this is a weird and heavy episode, I would say, absolutely. and... Very, very twisty, turny, Mm. tightly plotted,
0: brilliantly written, psychological thriller as well as almost boarding, as you said, on horror. Very different episode, but again,
1: I really dug it. I really enjoyed it as well because it had all of those, like, that whole theme of just, like, the suburban household, just, like, the nuclear family unit, but there's something very not right about it. That's a... As a fascinating prospect, that has has, lends itself to a lot of really good dark stories, and this is just one of them, which is a great sort of corridor to be a part of. Yeah, that whole
0: domesticity gone wrong is Mm. one of the staples of horror from stuff as simple as body snatchers when you don't know if that's the real person or they've been body snatched or Stepford Wives or anything in between. And having Poison Ivy involved, and obviously, dear listener, if you hadn't guessed with the title title like House and Garden, that it was a poison ivy episode, shame I'm, on you.
1: I'm, yeah, to be honest, I didn't quite get it until like the oh garden. Mm. <laughs> yes, I made the, I made those noises quietly to myself, like the like the I re I reacquired my Neanderthal underbite. Uh, Just like of course I did. But yeah, it brilliant. was um it's obvious now that you think about it, but then again, that also lends itself to a lot of very strange things that could have gone on, because you never expect the episode to... I didn't expect the episode to go the way you did.
0: Oh, no. This no. this episode came completely out of left field. I mean, let's talk about the plot. What happens is, from the beginning, we get this giant cactus plant man thing attacking a rich person, ripping his safe out of the wall, stealing his money, and poisoning him. Now, of course, that reminds Bruce and James Gordon about Poison Ivy uh, trying to influence wealthy young men and, and gain their fortunes at the beginning of her career in this show. Again, lovely nods to the hat to previous episodes and the previous appearances of this character. But then we get the shock twist that Ivy's reformed, and to all intents and purposes, we believe she has. Batman doesn't quite trust her, but even he is fooled or close to being fooled near the end. But this is the darkest Poison Ivy I believe I've ever seen, even in the
1: comics. This is the darkest version I've seen, one of the darkest timelines, I would say. It's because the things and the lengths she goes to, which we'll cover eventually in the episode, um, are just so bizarre and out there. Something I would never expect and really did sort of freak me out a little bit. Because when I first saw the opening moments of the episode, um, I was, okay, oh, it's Poison Ivy doing plant insidious plant things she's uh enlisted a classic wwe 90s wrestler to do her bidding <laughs> C- cactus jack has returned
0: oh god that was so good i can't believe i didn't think of that really i'm, I'm very joke. disappointed you didn't oh, think of wow, that. wow
1: brilliant but still enough sure enough um cactus jack is there doing her bidding but but obviously not she's mm. rehabilitated she's uh, wife from the 50s. She's um, she's found a nice man and adopted his the children from his first marriage. Things seem well, so what's going on? We just don't know.
0: I mean, I should have expected twists and turns in a classic Ivy story just for the fact that Paul Dilly wrote this, who's become one of the great Poison Ivy writers of, of the last few decades. He knows this character and he, again, as creator of Harley Quinn, does tend to write her and Harley extremely well, but what got me is the brilliant foreshadowing, little lines that we thought were throwaway until you realised what she was up to. Like, um, when I met his boys, I fell for them because I can't have children of my own. And then we mm. think, well, hang on, so maybe she has reformed. But then when you realize what oh, she's man. got growing in that lab, it was dark, but brilliant
1: just an interesting concept it's, it's gonna be hard to sort of talk around because we know it now and we're we're a spoiler filled podcast as you would know by now hundreds of episodes in um she's growing a family in yeah, her basement every night literally growing a family. <laughs> and just like just seeing those like those little baby cherub things yeah. emerging from the pods no, yeah, no. no, I'm with you. Yeah, because I know I I follow a lot of fantasy fiction. I know blights and I know tree ants and Ents and stuff. Mm. Um, Maokai is a personal favorite character of mine from um, the League of Legends card game. So I know plant monsters, and I'm okay with plant monsters still being plant-like. So once you'd like to say, "Oh, we have grown people with plant means," it, 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 it's 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 really freaky.
0: And the fact that she grows a new family every couple of days, because they only live a couple of days before mutating into, you guessed it, Mr. Spiky Cactus Man himself. Mm-hmm. And that also is very, very dark.
1: It really is, because mm-hmm. um, sure, plants to live on a sort of different axis, but then again, I don't know how well she'd be able to cultivate a human family. I think she'd find them sort of destructive and like part of the world, her green world that she doesn't really respect or like. So her cultivating her perfect plant family is exactly what she would want.
0: And it's great because we also get that straight out of roll doll twist where you're watching her throughout the episode and you want to feel for her, you want to believe her. But again, we, we know that she's a constant thorn, sorry, in yeah. Batman's side over the years. Um, so when we see her in Domestic Bliss... Because I'm a sucker for redemption story. You know I am. I want to see as many villains give up the path and become good as I possibly can. But even though I almost for sure knew she hadn't turned over a new leaf, I'm sorry, um, I wanted to believe that she
1: had. Well, you know, I think one of the things that would help uh, someone rehabilitate like that, which is why it seemed so natural. We were willing to go along with the pretense that she's actually like... Um, reintegrated society because she, because a way to do that is to be able to like make a family, create a new life, find some roots.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You, you definitely wanted to branch out in a different direction. <laughs> so thank,
1: sorry. Thank, you, thank you for listening. Please don't take us off your feed. The, the the bad jokes will stop by next episode. Probably. Actually, no, probably not. No, no, never. Never. Yeah. We are made of puns. It's true. Um, um, but still, she that's why the redemption story felt so believable. We thought that she actually had a shot at yes, becoming a indeed. regular rounded member of society again, which is... In a way, technically true, because, like, sure, extorting and stealing money and poisoning and endangering people isn't the right way to do it. But if she had been able to keep that model sustainable or brought the costs down for her regrowing her family all the time, then she could have done that forever. And she would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. If Batman and Jim hadn't stepped in as early as they had,
0: she could have gotten away with it. And honestly... um. If she had found a way of doing that without stealing, you like you say, it could have gone on forever, and then she could have been happy. So mm-hmm. has she possibly even been robbed of that happiness in that future?
1: We said in the previous episode that uh a villains' intentions just because they might seem noble. If their means aren't worthwhile, yes. then they can't be excused. They're, she was still using the wrong means to do a right thing. We can't excuse Ra's Ghul for trying to bring one oh, no. peace by slaughtering millions. So we can't excuse Ivy trying to find domestic bliss by stealing loans, even if the people she was stealing from had more than they needed. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we have to give credit to Diane Pershing's voice performance because she went from the cold, almost soulless Ivy to the happy domestic bliss housewife and mother in the drop of a hat. And while it was clearly the same actress, same character, the nuances between the two versions of of her were amazingly well done.
1: Yep, we got the real sense that she put on that air of just, like, more vulnerability, softer... Uh, but still, sort of the same level of determined that we can expect from the character. So it just added to the selling that she has rehabilitated and she's come back to society. So it made the twist towards the end where she returned to form seem all the more natural. It's like, of course, we can expect to trust her. And of course, we can count on a seasoned actress like that. Yeah, indeed.
0: What do you make, though? I mean, this again is, is the writing and the very subtle and nuanced storytelling in this episode that. At the end where Batman, obviously, again, wins because he's the hero. The only time he doesn't is in Mask of the Phantasm, as we've clearly pointed out in that episode. But um, when she's leaving Gotham and she's looking back on that all-too-short stint of happiness, she is crying real tears. She does feel the pain of losing that family, even though it was a family she created. But I've got to look at this brilliant piece of subtlety oh. where if you pay careful attention to that photo album she's kept as a keepsake of happy memories the only photos in there that aren't of Carlisle and the
1: boys no, are of follow. harley quinn there are multiple pictures of harley quinn in there multiple pictures of just harley quinn not just her and the boys yeah in the in the photo album there's multiple pictures of harley quinn there which i find very telling Um, a part of me wouldn't have minded uh, the obvious pun of the just wed sort of logo symbol to be just weed but then that would be more heavily misinterpreted
0: (laughs) yes it could easily have been but let's move swiftly along from that pun yeah fair enough Um, but still
1: (laughs) that's just us probably looking ahead either from the future or from Paul Dini's aspirations for the characters to say that Poison Ivy would find real happiness with Harley Quinn but the fact that she's there at all, from as early as the Harley Quinn's creation, mm-hmm. is very telling and very uplifting. That it's such a real emotion that we get from the character when that side of that character is like still fairly fresh.
0: Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, do you think though it is foreshadowing? It is Paul Dini saying this is where this story is going to go. This is what I want to happen, or is it literally just he's put Ivy, uh, Harley in the photo album at this point because she's the only friend? That Ivy's had so far, or do you think he had further plans in mind even at this very early stage? I'd
1: like to think that this was his way of uh, either like planning or putting the ideas into viewers and readers' heads, so that it will eventually happen naturally when these characters are handled by other writers. I think it's natural for that for Harley Quinn to be used because when you compare some of the other characters who have been in the show just as much, would we see that much of a connection? Mm -hmm. Really? I don't think so. I think we see the other characters interact with each other. Sure, we just had that excellent trial episode where we saw all of the villains sort of together. But you get the obvious like Joker-Harley unhealthy, bad, repartee in their relationship. We got Harley and Ivy, who became Thelma and Louise, as I love to call them. But then that's it. I don't think we have any of these other characters interacting with each other quite as much as they do. I think that each of the characters sort of like keep themselves to their bubbles. Yes, indeed. And only really come together for like big moments like trial and like some of the movies or what have you. So it's natural for Harley to be included in those sets of pictures because those that's the only other character she's ever really interacted with because we've got that little bit of history from Two-Face but there's no positivity there whatsoever. So by putting her there, it's just showing the callback to the episode and hopefully pulled in his aspirations. but it could easily be read not be as well. Yeah. Uh, we're very well
0: put. I mean, I have to think that a writer as renowned as he is possibly did have some seeds. Oh, God, I didn't even do that one on purpose. Um, that he wanted to sow with the two characters coming together. Because like you say, the relationship with Two-Face was unhealthy to start with because she literally was using and manipulating him. Um, whereas with Harley, from the get go, they were a team that just worked together. And from the little subtle things like you mentioned in the previous episode we did together about the two, uh, of the just the casually roaming around in, in shirts around the apartment, to the fact that it's Harley's picture in the album with Ivy's family. It's just a great nod to the future. But speaking of, because these days, Ivy, much like Harley, is a lot more of an anti-hero bordering on hero than a villain. And I'm just finding it a little tough to reconcile this pure, dark, evil version of the character with that future state. Or does it need someone like Harley and finding love? to put that change forward.
1: It really does need someone like that to sort of turn your life around because as we've seen clearly in this episode, she can come off of any insidious way of life and go legit, lack of a better phrase, by finding love and peace in a family. It's not necessarily the one that she curated and grew herself, Mm -hmm. but it's one that she found and one that she loves really. Um, I think it really needs that time to grow and become what it needs to be. But you can't rush that. We're looking at it mm-hmm. from where we are in the yeah. present. This is, this is a piece of media that's well over 20 years old. Yes, So we have to remember that, her, that Ivy wasn't always the anti-heroic mm-hmm. plant bender that she is right now. She's had her dark past and this, there's still points where that's still a valid way to read the character. So you've got to recognize where that evolution and change came from.
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, At this point in time, she was clearly 100% a Batman villain. uh, And that's something that needs to be remembered. But do you find, obviously, because I know that you two have been watching the Harley Quinn animated series, which is like a million miles away from this show. But after an episode like this, also inextricably linked because the voice performances of the two uh, poison ivy actresses, Um, We do get that cold, dead, uncaring side, but then we also see, particularly when it comes to Harley, that at the end of the day, what she does want is to step away from that and to find some kind of family ties. And looking back at her history in the comics and her origins, that's understandable. But without having those years of history in the TV show, Paul Dini's managed to seed that in and, 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 and plant those emotions in these stories brilliantly i
1: think definitely yeah we get those uh glimmers of hope and possibility and it's a natural evolution for the character and it's a natural evolution for a lot of people because unless you're like truly evil then you can go and sowing destruction forever like your jokers and your two faces but there's nothing inherently evil about what poison ivy wants to do Mm-hmm. She's a conservationist. She's a naturalist. She just wants yeah. peace for green things. That's not evil. The way she does things is, yeah. or at least it used to be. Uh, so moving towards something that's a little bit more morally right is the natural way she would go. So it makes total sense that she would need to go there. But we still have the 20 plus years of the when this originally came out to where she is now to see where that evolution would naturally take it to.
0: And it's great that it it does feel very organic and very natural in its progression in the storytelling we've seen so far.
1: Definitely, because over those decades of uh, storytelling of the same character by multiple writers across Mm. multiple different bits of media, Uma Thurman notwithstanding. um, (laughs) Yes, please. Yeah. um, We can see that the character does naturally go through different motions. So, yeah, it's great that a lot of different sources have agreed that this is where the character will go eventually.
0: Very well said. Now let's talk about the other villain of the piece, Mr. Spiky Cactus Jack, or should we say um, Cactus Carlyle? Um, a really original, different, Hulk-like yet not hybrid villain of the highest order. And this is the bit that's going to really make you smile. Okay. Both the monster voice mm. and the voice of Carlyle himself. Were performed by the same actor.
1: That's really good. It's good to show that they actually cast someone with that much range. They probably put like filters and other tweaks to just make him sound like rough and strange at the end, or woody sort to a, to, a, to a way. Back then, I don't think they would have. They might have. They would have been wouldn't have been as sophisticated as it would be these days. Yeah, but yeah, it's good that they were able to still cast someone regardless who could be able to do both sides. Yep, yeah. and a great physical threat for Batman, I think. Yeah, because you get something that's just like physically imposing, and because of the strange, uncertain way that the plants would grow, it would lead to some sort of unnatural strength that wouldn't necessarily last very long. Yeah. yeah.
0: And are you of the school that the more monstrous the monster, the better? Or having some semblance of humanity is actually what makes them more monstrous?
1: Uh, having semblance of humanity makes them more scary, because mm. that's something that we can graft onto and relate to, but still remember that they're very other and very not what we are which is always going to be more scary. It's also a case of, yeah, it's a human version of a plant thing. Uh, It's a a weird imitation of life that we can't really like relate with. So it throws it well into the Uncanny Valley. So it adds to certain ick and creepiness factors in multiple ways.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, human beings um, are scared of that whole thing that plants are a form of life. Absolutely. But, such a different form of life, almost an alien form of life, that when you get a plant-human hybrid, mm. apart from the obvious exceptions of the heroic archetypes like Swamp Thing and Marvel's Man Thing, that when you get a human sprouting leaves and shoots from out of their body, it's a grotesque, a horror that affects almost everybody, I think. It's something that
1: everyone's a bit afraid of. Which is why I find it really interesting, like characters like... Uh, Treebeard from Lord of the Rings, Maokai and Mm. Ivan from League of Legends, like plant people, like sentient living trees, animated bushes, um, little skittering plants, what have you. They're okay because they're still very visibly plant. Yes. They're something we can still create that distance from. The fact that it was a person that changed into something plant-like is also what's so bizarre. And that's why it was really, really weird when we get the little baby things coming out of the pods. Dark. I know you have a thing about like scary babies. As yes, it is.
0: absolutely. And when they go from mama, mama, newborns to like toddlers and then children in the space of a few seconds, and you can see the coldness in the eyes growing, um, it was incredibly well animated and some brilliant visual storytelling.
1: It really was because they conveyed like that change so fluidly, yeah. uh, which is something yeah. that the uh, Something of this show is actually a little bit guilty of not doing super well, because remember in the previous episode with Ra's Gaul mm. they had that moment where his vitality was sort of sucked out of him by the mummy. Yes. But then as he was away from it and recovered, it was just sort of like a fade into how yeah. he was, as opposed to like actually animating the lines vanishing and the tufts of beard and the clump yes. color coming back. I would have preferred if they had been able to do something like that. I get that they couldn't necessarily do it for whatever production reasons, but the fact that they were able to put that effort here where it really needed, that gradual, yeah. unnatural change really added to the horror.
0: Absolutely. Very well said. Now, Mr. Jack, we already mentioned uh, both the monster version and the human doctor version were played by the same actor. And once again, the absolute power of Batman the Animated Series strikes again. Um, I said as soon as I saw the titles, Peter Strauss, I know that name. Well, duh. Of course, I did. This is an actor who's been working almost consistently on stage, TV, and movies since 1969, the year before I was born. From classic TV like the Mary Tyler Moore show to Grey's Anatomy in most recent years, in the last two years, believe it or not. Um, But loads of um, real geek cred here, too. the old Hulk TV show, the Lou Frigno, um, oh, show, he just played the voice, and it was named in the title as Walter Langowski. Now, to many people, that will mean absolutely nothing. But to ultra-comics nerds like your dear father, <laughs> Walter Langowski is the secret identity of Alpha Flight member, sometimes hero, sometimes villain character, Sasquatch. Oh wow! Yeah, tiny little bit part, just the voice. But he's gone on to play the space hunter in the. the, He played Wolf in Space Hunter movie uh, and animated series as diverse as Johnny Quest and Biker Biker Mice from Mars and the brilliant classic animated movie Secret of Nim. A very, very talented, very, very diverse TV movie and voice actor and you could tell from his performance
1: you really needed that level of diversity and tenure for a, for a performance like this because you needed him to be able to play the doting loving suburban husband yeah the serious academic who talked about his um his psychiatric work and defended ivy under the accusations the monstrous sort of cactus mutant thing threatening batman mm-hmm. and just throwing his weight around into the scared fugitive um, captive who'd been experimented on for months yes. on end. So that level of diversity performance would have been very challenging to any other actor, but someone with this level of experience, even back then, not to say... Mm-hmm. Some yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some of the experience he had back then made him the perfect choice. 40-plus year career that's still going, and now that that's, that's is right. rare and mm-hmm. amazing. Rare and amazing, and... Not necessarily a household name, but that doesn't mean he's not treasured and not a real workhorse of the craft. For
0: is- me, I knew the name from the classic TV series *Cain and Abel* and the two *Rich Man, Poor Man* movies. He's a very, very good actor, visually as well as voice. So, again, the *Batman* the animated series has pulled out all the stops, and it's pulled out all the stops again. Even though they weren't in the full episode, they had a great um, reach and great performances. Bob Hastings and Lauren Lester as Jim Gordon. And finally, Dick Grayson. Um,
1: finally seeing Robin again. Oh, yeah. We haven't seen him since the beginning of the se- We haven't seen him in this season. And um, When was the last time we saw him? Was it, was it in Reckoning? Was there an episode after that? Um, a couple of
0: uh, bit-part episodes at the end of, of season one, but very little. And considering that this series is now called The Adventures of Batman and Robin, um, long overdue.
1: Yeah, I would say it's long overdue, and he was very important in the episode. He gave us a little extra, little added layer of peril in the middle that we weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, very well handled and great all-round performance from them both. Yes, absolutely, and we love these characters. And please,
0: let's see a little bit more Robin, especially with the title change yep. of the show. Indeed. Now, as always, we come to the part of the show where I ask you, Adam. What were your main takeaways, good, bad, or ugly, from House and Garden?
1: I particularly like this episode simply because it's an uh, evolution of uh, Poison Ivy as a character. Yes. Not just because of the lengths that she'd go to to like, find in a piece or what have you. Um, we were talking about the last time she uh, appeared in Trial, mm-hmm. where that little plant wouldn't be allowed because she'd do strange sort of mutated things with mm-hmm. it. I like that this has been an episode where we've seen some real evolution in her power oh, set yes. because her mastery of science has been able to like actually let her commune with plants so well that she could grow human appearing life out mm-hmm. of it. But not even that, just those, those vines. vines and those vines yes. and those ivies to just grab Batman off of the roof of her house. It was great to see that that's the level she's starting to appear to because that was always the poison ivy that I knew. Like, again, Uma Thurman aside, uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have that many problems with him the I mean. But still, I'm more thinking of the Arkham games where we yes. have the giant plant monstrosity. A thing lot right more the of end. a classic poison. A lot, the classic poison ivy that can do great and terrifying things with plants. Yeah. You
0: put the exact, um, again, thing that I was going to point out those vines yeah. and the evolution of her powers mm. and her personality and character. Now, at this point in time in the 90s is when that change began to happen as well up mm. until that point she was someone who had an affinity with plants but again was more of a almost a huntress type character and almost like a more of a cattleman type character it's in the 90s after stories by Neil Gaiman and after the huge surge in popularity of Swamp Thing that Poison Ivy began to transform into more of a plant lady than a lady who likes plants Okay, and the fact that Paul Dini has taken that evolution which happened from her earliest appearances in the 60s over a 30 year period to the 90s of the TV show and managed to condense them into, what, five appearances, six appearances that the characters had over these series? Something like that. Yeah. Fantastic. Truly, yeah. Absolutely fantastic. We've said that it's not impossible unless you're the richest man on Earth to get all 80 years' worth of Batman comics and Batman history comics. But in a box set, a DVD box set of Batman the Animated Series, you get that growth told Every bit as well, but far more concisely and in a way that's really
1: accessible to just about anybody.
0: It's brilliant.
1: It's because they are able to condense those 80 plus years of Batman history because between the vast, diverse uh, writing team and the entire creative department that is involved in the show... Everyone that's involved that puts their hands on the show one way or another knows a bit of Batman history that another person doesn't. Mm-hmm. And a good creative team like that should be able to discuss and weave in and around each other so that they can cover all those gaps, so they can get a true collage of 80 years of Batman's history sincerely told in 20 minutes every week.
0: Uh, yeah. But do you not think, though, that in the hands of a different creative team, that would have been put something that? All the Batman series that have followed, some great, some good, some okay, none have reached the level of sophistication, longevity, and all-around fan love that this series has.
1: I think it was also a case of the perfect team handling it in the right way for the time. I think... With the 90s, a lot of opinions and uh, uh, what I would call like modern beliefs are starting to form up and change. Lots of people are starting to be like aware of technology, scared of Y2K, starting to become more liberal in opinions to an extent. So the right handling of like a classic character told sincerely, but in new ways fit perfectly in the right time.
0: Yeah. Right place, right time, right team. Yep, Very well put. So, that brings us to the end of our look at House and Garden, an episode which, honestly, I was not prepared for. I didn't expect in any way. Completely different tone, even though we've seen some horror, like we said in the previous episode, Avatar. Um, this was a very different horror-based, but still perfectly Batman episode of Batman Animated Series.
1: It covered a lot of ground in ways that none of us were expecting and said itself to be a very unique and very memorable episode.
0: Very well said. Right, so on that note, um, Adam, let our listeners know what's growing in your greenhouse these
1: days. Uh, The greenest fingers and the strangest fruits only grow for me because I plant and sow a lot of content, a lot of content. Uh, For Batman-flavored things, look to my reviews on Dark Knight News uh, multiple times a month. Catwoman and Suicide Squad are in excellent spots right now and I have the privilege of reading them for your... Reviewed pleasures, but for my true love, PC and tabletop gaming look no further than our Pride and Joy Fantastic Universes, where I cover the various battle royales and card games and other PC offerings that tickle my fancy in uh, review and opinion piece forms. Look to Twitter at isittinkerer for my live reactions to various queer issues and my own takes on losing horrendously at this games <laughs> I <I'm> dearly <laughs> love. Uh, you don't always lose. Oh, no, no, but. It's good when you lose that you learn something. If it was just because... If it Because I play a lot of card games when my decks don't cooperate, I feel just bad because it wasn't even my fault and it wasn't even my opponent playing well. But in any case, uh, for more takes on me losing said card games, <laughs> you can find some of my visual media playing some of those card games on YouTube at The Hostile Atmosphere. But for Dungeons & Dragons related media, where I started my content creator work, look to my written work to level up your games on the Apotheosis Studios blog or look to... The host uh, to look to No Ordinary Heroes, where or I DM some games for some very dear friends.
0: Thank you for that. And this show is one of many on the DC Comics News Podcast Network, where you can also find The Spinnerack, you can also find Harley Quinn podcast Mad Love, and on YouTube, you can catch. DCN After Dark. You can catch all those shows on YouTube, the audio shows on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. DC Comics News and Dark Night News can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube. As for myself, please talk to me on Twitter at ElStevio, underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. Listen to me on some of the shows I've already mentioned, and on the Comics in Motion feed on Superheroes for Dummies. And you can also catch me just by typing in Steve J. Ray or Fantastic into your search engine of choice, to find news reviews and interviews on our site, Fantastic Universes, on DC Comics News, on Dark Knight News, and on CBR. But until you do, here's Ed and Ray. Here's the Knight. Together we are the Knight. And this has been the I Am The Knight
1: podcast. Thank you for listening. Until next time, read more comics. And
0: watch more Batman.